We know that cancer is on the rise. One in three women are diagnosed with cancer in America, and for men, one in two. But what can we do to support the mitochondria? What can we do to protect the body? That's what today's episode is all about with Dr. Lori Bouchard. It is a survival mechanism. So every one of our cells have a slew of mitochondria, right? And those mitochondria are producing energy. And when you think about the way that you're making energy, it's the mitochondria's role to do that. And so you think about all the things that damage our mitochondria. So stress, toxicity, inflammation, the glyphosates, all the things around us that can damage our actual mitochondria. Are those cells that were once healthy, they actually have to change energy modes, and that is when they become more of a cancerous cell. And the, the problem with cancer is that they don't stop replicating. So they keep overproducing, they completely change their mechanism of how they survive. So they're very clever in the sense of they're trying to stay alive. So it's two different energy mechanisms. So when we think of like human evolution, that's really all cancer is. It's those cells are trying to stay alive. Given a very toxic environment, those cells have to change. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you, first and foremost, for pressing play today and all the options you chose us, and we're super grateful. Today's episode is a really important one that you're going to want to share with your friends and family, definitely share with somebody you know who has cancer. I bring on my friend, Dr. Lori Bouchard, and we dive deep into her story, her pain to purpose story and why she wanted to write books on cancer, research cancer, open up a clinic in Canada about cancer. She's also going to share a recent experience she had traveling to Europe and what they do there, very different at their hospitals versus the hospitals here. Very fascinating to hear that they require these forward-thinking functional clinics in Europe. They require fasting and ketosis for patients who have cancer and are going through chemo. Very, very interesting. Dr. Lori was actually uh, sick with COVID during the recording, but she did an awesome job either way. And we talk about that. She actually says, and you're going to hear why, it's actually good to be sick once or twice a year. And she's more concerned for somebody who never gets sick. Whoa, what does that mean? You're going to have to wait to see about that. The impact, your feelings, an attitude have after a cancer diagnosis. It's really the stories we create after a diagnosis that could help us or hurt us. And she said, 100% of men over the age of 80 have 
prostate cancer. Whoa. She shares that cancer is a survival mechanism. She gives the history of cancer, how it impacts the mitochondria and the energy produced by the mitochondria, the role of stress, toxicity, inflammation, glyphosate, and what that does to damage the mitochondria. She shares her favorite tips for supporting the mitochondria, how fasting helps the mitochondria, eliminating toxins, removing glyphosate, eliminating every day peeing and pooping, what water, quality water does for cellular health. And we get into something that we're both passionate about, which is looking at what hospitals, and when I say hospitals, I mean most hospitals, what they're feeding people in the hospital bed is the exact food that leads to chronic inflammation, which led them to the hospital in the first place. And the stupidity of fast food restaurants in hospitals, we both get fired up about that. I asked her the question, this is just you know a thought, prostate cancer, which is on the rise. Is there a link between those who have prostate cancer or those who are at risk of prostate cancer and the correlation between those who are sitting the most sedentary lifestyle, it's not allowing blood flow. You're going to hear her thoughts on that. The connection between stress, chronic stress and cancer, and so much more. You're going to love Lori, her energy, her research, her knowledge. We're going to put her website down below, her social media down below. Everything we speak about can be found down below in the podcast notes. We also record the video format of every podcast and you can watch that on our YouTube channel, including today's episode and all previous episodes. Video format could be found on the YouTube channel. We do some cool edits on there. It's Keto Camp on YouTube. So after you listen today, watch it on YouTube. I want to take a minute to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a short and sweet one from Sisson, Tennessee. Five-star review with the title, Love. Here's what Sisson, Tennessee said. Every podcast is so informative. Ben has excellent guests, and I love his book, KetoFlex, as well. Thank you, Sisson. I appreciate you listening, getting the book. You're awesome. And also, thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. It really helps. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so right now because it really, really helps. So uh, I would love if you paused and did that. All right. Let's talk about cancer and mitochondrial health with Dr. Lori Bouchard. Dr. Lori completed her degree in health science at Western University and a doctorate of naturopathic medicine, the four-year full-time program at the prestigious Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. Dr. Bouchard founded Inside Health, Ontario's most innovative naturopathic healing center to help patients and people reverse complicated and missed understood conditions such as Lyme, chronic fatigue, Hashimoto's, and infertility. More than a decade later, Inside Health offers a comprehensive range of naturopathic support, welcoming all those who wish to live an optimal life. With a special focus on cancer health, Dr. Bouchard is on a mission to help patients understand the real roots of cancer and how gut health, genetics, and environmental factors impact tumor growth. Here is Dr. Lori. Dr. Lori Bouchard, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here today. I know that you're playing injured. Uh, you're actually dealing with COVID right now. You're a uh, day five or so since you um, started feeling off, you said, from your trip 
So share right off the bat, like uh, what happened with uh, your trip to Germany and, and feeling off when you got back home? Yeah, so I went to Germany and Switzerland. So I've never been to Switzerland. So I've never experienced chocolate like that before, cheese. Like, like I just fully indulged in things that I would typically never do. Maybe I'd have a little bit, but never to the extent of what I've done in the past two weeks. So along with the eating changes, the habits of just what I'm ingesting, and then also from flying, radiation, the stress, the time change, jet lag, like circadian rhythms all messed up. When I get home, I was just getting rid of stuff from my body in all directions. <laughs> and it's a very healthy thing to get sick once or twice a year. Like the people who never get sick, I worry about them. But my body was purging to another level, which is fine. It's great getting rid of that. And then, yeah, just today, I'm like, maybe I actually have COVID. But I'm realizing that it's not um, like, I mean, it's a flu, right? It's like a viral infection. But my body was in the perfect storm of making this happen. So it wasn't like, if I didn't eat like garbage, if I didn't travel, maybe I would have been exposed to someone who's had COVID and been fine. But I know that I've created this perfect storm of a situation and I'm feeling the way I am because of that. But I see it as an opportunity of why not implement a five-day fast? Why not give my body all the nutrients it needs? Why not listen to my body when it's starting to say no and actually rest and not do so much? So I actually see this as an opportunity of kind of like recharging and relaxing and implementing things where I was maybe too busy to do before. So yeah, that is what's going on right now. And I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at the situation. I enjoyed what I did when I was there. But um, now that I'm home, I'm going to be recharged any day now. I love the attitude. I love the mindset around it. I also got sick back in July after travel. Uh, Dr. Pompa actually had COVID in Utah and we were masterminding and then I got it from him. And uh, yeah, I was banged up for a little bit. I had a fever of 104.5 degrees Fahrenheit for a couple of days. But like you, opportunity for my body, my innate intelligence to just do its job. So I didn't do anything personally to suppress or lower the fever. I let my body go through the fever. I just rested. I didn't fast for five days. I fasted probably for like 36 hours. And then I started to get my appetite back. So I kind of listened to my innate intelligence. But um, are you currently on a, a long fast right now? I am. Yeah, I'm only having water and electrolytes. I'm taking probiotics every few hours. There's supplements that I'm just taking every few hours. Not any of the fat soluble vitamins. But yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm very intuitive when it comes to like, okay, when should I break it? And I just don't feel like I'm ready yet. If I'm feeling extremely lethargic, then I probably would and say, okay, I need some more fuel. Um, but yeah, I'm going to see how long I can go. And I'm feeling good right now. Like I'm not 100%. But yeah, it's interesting because when I was in Germany, the whole point of going there was to visit these oncology clinics or hospitals that are all naturopathic and holistic. So these huge hospitals who promote fasting, who promote natural healing, they use mistletoe, they use high dose vitamin C, they do all the things that I do in my clinic and in Ontario here, but alongside chemotherapy. So when someone's sick, they're like, of course you have to fast before chemo. They're like, of course you need to have a temperature and warm up your body. They give hot baths before chemo and after chemo to warm up their body to create a fever. So they're like, of course you have to do these things. So the whole mentality, like whereas here, and I'm sure in the US too, it's like, take Tylenol if you get a fever, take all these things, suppress it. 
So it's very refreshing to be in this environment where they're saying like, yeah, your body is heating up for a reason and you need to kill that bacteria or that virus. So it's nice to see where that integrative medicine there, like everyone just like has that same mindset of helping the body heal up to that level. That is nice to hear. And is that because the body's, uh, when, when you warm the body up and you develop that fever, we're, develop, we're creating heat shock proteins that are dealing with that bacteria, that virus, is that what's happening? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It all has to do even with circulation too. So you think of like a lot of bacteria or cancer cells even thrive in a hypoxic environment where there's not a lot of oxygen. And so the more circulation you can get, the more like increased temperature, patients just do better overall. So when even when people are on just like feeling exhausted and um, not able to do the things, just things that they can do to help with circulation. So using acupuncture, using hyperthermia, um, the heat baths, saunas, anything to get their bodies warmed up. And you mentioned when you started off the conversation that if you did not get sick once or twice a year, if you haven't gotten sick for years, that would be a cause for concern. Could you explain why? Yeah. And you know what? It's so interesting because most people that have cancer, they're completely shocked because they're saying, I never get sick. I'm usually the healthy one out of all my family. I'm the one that takes care of everybody. I'm go, go, go. I do all these things. I'm the caregiver. And so the fact that I got cancer is shocking. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? Your immune system never even had a chance to purge these things because you're in this like fight or flight mode all the time. You're go, 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 taking care of everyone else. And your body's like, reserving all this toxicity. And so getting rid of garbage is a very important thing for our body. So not saying you should be sick once or twice a year for lengthy periods of time, like a few days of something like spitting up mucus, like getting rid of stuff is a very healthy thing for our body to do. So if you're never experiencing that, that's a problem. Like where is that garbage going? That's a a paradigm shift for a lot of people. That's interesting first a few years, I, I did not get sick. Uh, actually, I think three years in a row. And then last year, I got sick. Uh, and I recovered fast. This year, I got sick and I recovered fast. And um, it's interesting, because I also did a test with a company called Glycan Age. Have you ever heard of them looking at glycans and how they, you know, to assess your longevity? You've heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my test was an anomaly, meaning I tested with them. They sent me a kit because they wanted to come on my podcast. And I did the test and it showed my biological age as very, very old at 74 years old. And I'm like, okay, I know. I'm like, okay, something has to be off here. So I'm like, can I speak to like your, your lead scientist, maybe a couple of them get some feedback. And they chalked it down to it being an anomaly. And my immune system is just kind of overactive, which is showing a false older reading. And they didn't say it was a bad thing or a good thing. It just They just shared that it's not an accurate test for me specifically and what I have going on. But that makes me think, you know, is it a bad thing that, you know, my immune system was so active that it's showing this glycan age really high? Uh, and what can I do for that? Or should I do anything for that? Yeah, so I'm not familiar with the actual like nitty gritty of that test. But maybe it's more of like a TH1, TH2, like if someone tends to get more allergies and a hyperreactive immune system in general, right, things to help modulate their immune system. So if they tend to be hyper responsive, like have maybe autoimmune conditions or predisposed to those, have allergies or have anything that's um, like rheumatoid arthritis or MS, things like that, then maybe that's the case where their system is in that overreactive mode. And so they're not 
sick very often, right? But even that can be a problem too, because leaning more towards the autoimmune way, like you need to modulate that. So, I mean, fasting is a really important way to help modulate and change the whole microbiome and helping with your gut health. But um, yeah, looking at that balance, right? Like not to have like too high of an immune system or too low of an immune system. Like it's really that T1, TH2, like autoimmune, um, that balance. Makes sense. Yeah. And I do have autoimmune. I have uh, Raynaud's, right? I have Raynaud's, which is an autoimmune condition. However, it's gotten so much better over the years with the things you've mentioned, fasting, heavy metal detox, you know, just living the life that I'm living. And it's amazing. Like you said, before we hit record that we have these tools that we could apply. Some are free, like fasting and uh, grounding and uh, vitamin G, which I call gratitude. And then some you could pay for like sauna and red light therapy and all these other cool things that we have available to us. But what an amazing world we live in right now to have all these tools, no? Yeah. And I love that you talk about gratitude so much because I see that especially after someone's diagnosed with cancer, they have this chance to almost like view the world differently. They reflect and appreciate things differently. Like they're the ones that always think that they have to do everything for everyone else. And then when they see their family members saying, I want to do this for you, like I actually want to support you and I want to be there for you. Like just that gratitude of them sitting back and saying, wow, I have this amazing support team that maybe they didn't even recognize before or things that have come out where they're like, wow, every day that I spend with my children, I am just like cherishing those moments way more than they would have before where they're kind of in this cloud of like to-do lists and busy and go, go, go. Right. So it's, it's really, sometimes it takes a diagnosis for people to switch into that gratitude and like, it sucks. Like it would suck to actually have to have that diagnosis to go there, but preventatively, right? Like what that does for our nervous system and how it just makes us just really um, sit back and say like, life is good. Like we're in a good place. Yeah. Strongest vitamin in the world, vitamin G, and you can't overdose on it. It's completely free. You could have access to it whenever you want. No medication, subscription need or a prescription needed. You know, when you search online and you look for cancer hashtags, the top hashtags are like F cancer, I hate cancer. And what are your, what is your thought process around the like the war against cancer, the hate against cancer? Is that something that is the wrong way of looking at it? Yeah. Like, I mean, never having a cancer diagnosis, I can't really like say f you cancer because I've maybe like, I, okay, so I have two different, <laughs> two different thoughts on this. I think that, you know, whenever someone gets hurt, for example, like, so just say your child or like a young child falls and they have this like huge cut on their leg and they see this injury and just say it's like slow to heal. You're not going to run over to the kid and be like, F you, you scar and you like you wound, like screw you, this happened. You're going to go over to that injury and like give it love. You're going to give it a hug. You're going to like support that child in the way that you know that he the body is amazing to heal. So you look at that as like an injury happened, an external threat came in, and we need to support the body and how it's going to heal. So that F you attitude is, I think, in the process of cancering, um, making things way worse. It's that anger is going to exacerbate this and like the why me mentality and like, why did this happen? But I mean, that's the culture we live in. We're told that it's bad luck. And we're told that cancer is something that just like, oh, it's not in your genes. You have it's luck. So a lot of people don't understand that, that like, why does cancer even happen in the first place? So I can see 
oh, I'm given this death threat, essentially, right? And so in the process of having cancer, that's not the way that I would go about it. I would say, okay, this is a reason to change. And this is a reason to look into my health and healing from a physical, mental, emotional, all the levels. Um, But then when I can resonate with the FU cancer is when it's taking many people's lives. So I've seen where people work really hard for their health, but they have a very aggressive type of cancer. And so the loss of that, of the person, um, I can see that where they're like, okay, f*** you, cancer. (laughs) Yeah, so it is a very, like, I I get it, but really it's um, so many great things come out of, I mean, it's awful to say that too, but a lot of things come out of that where families become a lot closer. Their last months or years of, after having a diagnosis like that, like they've shared things and reached new levels of relationships that maybe they wouldn't have had if they, they've experienced love to such a deeper level. And even the connections that it brings and the knowledge that it brings, like there's so many benefits to it too, as much as it like, I mean, we're all going to die of cancer eventually. Like that is just the reality of it, right? One of every two people in their lifetime will get it. And also they've seen on autopsy reports that men over the age of 80, 100% of them have prostate cancer. So it's like they're not dying because of the prostate cancer, but they just, they had it. And same with thyroid cancer. That's another one that a lot of people die with, not of. So to be angry at something that is not necessarily going to take your life, right? It's something that's part of normal evolution. Like it's just part of how our cells are aging. There's a way that we can stay in remission for a long time and prolong the risk of getting it. But I think all of us are going to be eventually as sad as that sounds, like it is something that's part of us. That's interesting. A hundred percent of men over the age of 80 have prostate cancer. Um, what they about cancer? Uh, yeah. Cancer cells. Yeah. What about a um, hundred years ago? Was it the same thing? Was it the same case? Yeah. So there was the um, a book called Emperor of Med- All Modalities. Um, and where they were actually researching and looking at fossils and looking at like, like see if cancer was even a thing, even like a hundred years ago, 200 years ago. And they didn't have the technology to actually like diagnose it at that time. But cancer was around hundreds of years ago as well. Not likely to the same causes of what, and maybe people were getting it way later in their life. But yeah, in, in my clinic now, I'm seeing like 20 year olds have cancer and like, babies and young people. So we know this is more generational, like passed on, whereas maybe like three generations back, they didn't get it until their 70s or 80s. And why is the innate intelligence creating cancer cells and the spreading of cancer? Like what is the number one priority for the human body in innate intelligence is survival, right? So why are cancer cells growing if the innate intelligence wants to survive? What's the deal? Like what is the reason behind it? Yeah, well, cancer is it is a survival mechanism. So every one of our cells have a slew of mitochondria, right? And those mitochondria are producing energy. And when you think about the way that you're making energy, it's the mitochondria's role to do that. And so you think about all the things that damage our mitochondria. So stress, toxicity, inflammation, the glyphosates, all the things around us that can damage our actual mitochondria, those cells that were once healthy, they actually have to change energy modes. And that is when they become more of a cancerous cell. And the the problem with cancer is that they don't stop replicating. 
So they keep overproducing. They completely change their mechanism of how they survive. So they're very clever in the sense of they're trying to stay alive. So it's two different energy mechanisms. So when we think of like human evolution, that's really all cancer is. It's those cells are trying to stay alive. Given a very toxic environment, those cells have to change. I've noticed a lot of people have issues with caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects. It makes you more dependent on the caffeine and it puts you in this sympathetic fight or flight state. And for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about Everyday Dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee, and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really good way when I have Everyday Dose versus regular coffee. And I want you to experience the same. So if you want to check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five on the go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find First of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com slash ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. And how did you even get involved with cancer research? At what point during your life and career did you want to dedicate your uh, research to cancer? So when I was in school, there's no way I would want to come near <laughs> talking about cancer. I, it was fourth year of medical school where we had to choose like which area we want to go into. And I'm thinking like, I want to do things like gut health and fertility, maybe sports medicine, all the really like exciting and maybe even like focus on weight loss, all those things that I could even just like relate to more. And cancer was like the last. It was like, no way. If it's like this trillion dollar business and it's not even, there's no cure for it. Like, why would I want to put myself in this depressing, very defeating field is what I, was my view of cancer. And then when I first, gra like when I graduated, I had a patient who came in, who came in in a wheelchair. He was told that he has a month to live. He has multiple myeloma. And he says, I am not ready to die. I have a grandchild on its way. I want to meet them in December. But my oncologist said, if I do one more round of chemo, I'm going to die. So I was given a month to live. And so here I am thinking like, holy <laughs> why? Like this patient, first of all, has never talked about diet, has never talked about what they're eating, never talked about like the toxicity that's been bombarded on their system through all these chemo sessions. They're literally just sent oh, if we do another chemo, you're going to die. So just go home and basically die. So I was his absolute last resort. So I looked at him not from even like a cancer standpoint. I looked at him as how can we just keep this man alive to see his grandchildren in December? And so then working with him, he was like, I will do everything you say. He was the best patient ever because he also had that mind power of his 
purpose and his will was so strong. Like he was so determined that he's going to prove everyone wrong. And like, this is, he's not going anywhere. So he had all the things he's getting all the knowledge. He's applying had the best support team. And this patient ended up living a decade, close to a decade longer. So when he started to turn around, like within a few months, he started getting out of his wheelchair, started walking. The next spring, he started golfing. He started doing things where he never thought he could do. So he was more of like, a, I would say like a walking advertisement for me. And I didn't think I was going to be getting into the cancer world, like I said, but everyone started coming in and saying, okay, if you could help him, you can help my stage one, stage two, stage three type of cancer. And a lot of the things that I'm learning about cancer in general is just like foundational stuff that people don't know, right? Like even how to track your labs, how to eat properly, how important having regular bowel movements are, how to track inflammation, like all those things before it even gets to a cancering stage is so critical for everyone to know. So that's what really empowers me to learn more. And if I can help people with cancer, I can help people with losing weight. I can help people with digestive issues. Like it, everything else seems like I, I might be bored, essentially, is what that comes down to. I just need that <laughs> learning more. And, what, and there's so much to know with cancer. So it's um, for me, being that detective is really keeps me on my toes. It's an amazing story about the gentleman. Cancer, how long does it take for cancer to continue growing on average before you get a diagnosis by your doctor saying you have a certain cancer? How long on average does it take for that to happen? Yeah, so the research varies, but it's usually about seven to 10 years. Seven to 10 years, meaning it could be developing year after year after year, but after seven to 10 years on average, depending on the type of cancer, you have a diagnosis. Exactly. And there's certain things you can track, like you can look at your blood work and to say like, Am I creating an environment where it allows cancer to thrive? Like people can take these action steps to just get like yearly checkups and say like, are these markers promoting a cancer's growth? Or is it something that like they can take a handle of it, right? And they can just be on, not to like give anxiety of, oh, I'm going to get cancer, but it's, it should be a more proactive thing to keep you um, empowered to know more. Because if I hear one more time patients saying, oh, I was just sent home and uh, the watch and wait approach, like watching and waiting for my, if, once it gets really big, then we're going to do something about it. It's like, no, <laughs> we can do things about this. Like there's so much we can do to help our body. Amen to that. What, what are the best lab markers that we should order every year as a preventative measure for preventing cancer? Yeah. So like I said, I don't say preventing because I think everyone's going to get it, but lowering our risk and lowering the onset of when it comes we want to look at the the environment of our cells, right? So we want to look up anything that could actually create the microenvironment of the tumor to stimulate the tumor. So I would look at um, high sensitivity CRP. We want that under one. ESR, so erythrocyte sedimentation rate, that one, they say should be like in Canada, they say under 30. I like that under 10. I also look at depending on what type of cancer, but in general, Glucose levels, hemoglobin A1C in Canada, the levels are going to be different, but I like it under 5.5. So not even close to that pre-diabetic range. Like a lot of people see, oh, I'm, not, I'm under six, so I'm okay. But you want to really be an efficient sugar burner, which you know all about. So the better that you can deal with sugars, the better you're able to produce ketones, right? So sugar, inflammation, you could also, this is more for when someone has had a cancer diagnosis, but LDH is lactate dehydrogenase. It looks at 
Um, some people, that's like their first sign that they need to go investigate further is when they have cell breakdown. So LZH is just a marker to see if there's things moving around the body, like a high breakdown of cells and reason to investigate further. And those would be the top ones. That's good. Okay. So pretty much the environment of, of your cells is what we're looking at. And you mentioned that cancer is a result of mitochondrial dysfunction. So if that's true, what are the best ways we could support the mitochondria right now? Yeah, so top ways, minimum doing a 13-hour fast. So anything that's like constantly stimulating insulin or constantly adding inflammation in the body. So having a 16-hour fast would be ideal, but for a lot of the research, it's saying between 13 and 14 hours every single night is one of the best ways that you can help recharge your mitochondria um, and help support the healthy cells. Eliminating toxicity is an obvious one too. So looking at um, what carcinogens are in your life, right? So um, if you're cooking with Teflon pans, get rid of those. If you have a lot of food that has glyphosates and herbicides and pesticides, get rid of those. It's all those tiny little insults that people are exposed to on a daily basis that just start to accumulate. So if you're brushing your teeth with uh, propylene glycol that's in the toothpaste, like why would they put antifreeze in things, right? Like all these things that are allowed to be in our body products and our hair products, they are not, our body doesn't know what to do with them, creates more inflammation, dam directly damages our mitochondria. And all of that over time is not only going to make you feel tired, but leads to more chronic diseases. So getting rid of the toxicity. Also, making sure that you're going to the bathroom every day. Like if you're eliminating regularly, then you're not getting that auto circulation or auto intoxication and things don't have a chance to kind of like create more stress on the liver and start brewing. So drinking lots of water, that's going to help with healthy cells, right? Like helping so many people don't drink enough water. Like they go, like, oh, no, I have like 10 cups of coffee. And if I drink too much water, I have to go pee all the time. So it's like, okay, well, some of the basic things, right? Where you can just say, okay, if you just even have a liter of water in your day, you will have so much more energy. So that's good. That's good. So, those are the top ones. Yeah, that's and those are pretty easy to do. 13 hour fast minimum, looking at your toxic load, starting with your household products, eating organic as much as possible, swapping out your cookware for non toxic cookware, regular bowel movements, hydration. What about ketosis and the process of uh, burning ketones instead of sugar? How does that help the mitochondria? And how does that help with just um, longevity? Yeah, I was just going to say that list, let's add exercise to that list too. That's one really great way to add in to support mitochondria. So movement and when people have poor mitochondrial function, they're usually really tired. So they think like, oh, how am I going to go exercise when I'm so tired? But even going on to those vibe plates, like they're like uh, lymphatic, just getting lymph going and circulation going, or you could do a like contrast showers, like hot, cold, that'll get circulation going. So anything that's promoting circulation and movement, that's going to help mitochondrial function too. That's good. Okay, sorry. What was the <laughs> ketones? Yeah. What about ketones? How does that help? So this is what I was telling, I think before the call in Germany, where they're saying everybody who before um, doing chemotherapy or part of their cancer therapies, everyone is in ketosis. And they're like, obviously, this is going to help support chemosensitivity. It's going to help produce healthy white blood cells. It's going to totally change the tumor microenvironment. Like they listed off all of these very highly researched 
articles where going into ketosis is an extremely use, not even just useful, it's a mandatory thing that they do part of these hospitals in Germany. So going into ketosis, what that's doing, it's basically keeping the insulin growth factors down. So every time you're eating sugars, your pancreas is releasing the insulin, which stimulates insulin growth factor. Um, when that is lower, then your body has this opportunity to tap into the ketogenic um, getting into ketosis. So your body can use those fats from your diet or from your own body to produce these ketones. And these ketones are actually helping how your body goes into autophagy. And we know when we can go into autophagy and you're killing off all these dead cells and old cells and getting rid of abnormal cells in the body, you have a much stronger chance of living a healthier life. So bringing down inflammation is huge when it comes to cancer care. And especially before chemotherapy, if you're not in ketosis, then it's a lot harder for that chemo to be sensitive to the cancer cells. So if you're fasting and in ketosis, it actually protects your healthy cells during all of that toxicity, which is huge, right? So a lot of people that I help, I see them where they like go through chemo and they're like, I feel fine, totally fine. Like they don't, they're not bedridden for weeks. Like they do the chemo, yeah, it sucks. And they're feeling tired, but they're no way like bedridden for weeks. Like it's a completely different experience. So they do what they need to do to help kill off cancer cells in that aggressive way but let's build health at the exact same time. So getting into ketosis is a really important way to do that. That's awesome about that hospital making that mandatory. I, I love that. And that's very uncommon, meaning most hospitals don't do that. And I want to get in a little bit into the hospital thing soon, but question on the insulin-like growth factor. So IGF-1, if somebody's getting that on their lab work, how, how should they view that? Should they view that as the higher it is, the more their body is in this anabolic growth phase, too much mTOR, and is the goal to bring it as low as possible or is there a kind of a sweet spot with that? Yeah, the goal is really to have it as low as possible and it's completely modifiable through diet, completely. So for example, if you eat a donut and go and have your IGF-1 checked, it'll be high, it'll be high. So it's something that like spiking sugar, spiking insulin, you're gonna have a high level. So when you go in, go in after maybe a 12-hour fast at least just to get a baseline. And then you can monitor that again even a month later. So if your overall IGF-1 is declining over time, that's a really good thing. So the more that you can manage and support how your liver is producing this IGF-1, that's a really great thing. Is it also a marker to look at for mTOR? Will pro eating excessive protein spike that up and eating protein frequently also spike IGF-1? Yeah, it depends on genetics too. Like some people when they have high with certain genetics, so the ASCL1, that one, if you have a lot of sugars in general, it's or sorry, a lot of protein, if they have a lot of protein, it can convert to sugars in the body. So they'll start to become more diabetic on a keto diet. So that's something to monitor and to look at. So yeah, people are in really high protein and they start to see their blood sugar adjust. Um, or to increase, then they might want to look at cutting back on that protein because that their body is just going into that pathway. What are your thoughts on melatonin as it relates not so much to sleep, which we know is very important for what we're talking about here, but as it relates to mitochondrial health and um, as an antioxidant? Yeah, so I actually use in cancer um, melatonin as more of a pro-oxidant, which is use higher dose melatonin. So for sleep, you would probably use like three milligrams, six milligrams, maybe. Um, for cancer care, I go up to 60 milligrams. 
And so that has um, apoptosis effects on the body, but melatonin is one of the most highly researched hormones when it comes to especially hormonal cancers. It can use for any solid tumors really, but melatonin is a really great thing to do for cancer care. It also helps with GERD. So reflux melatonin is really great. It strengthens that esophageal valve. It also can help with serotonin production too. So anyone who's on SSRIs, they would want to watch out because they may get a serotonin storm, like too much serotonin in the body if they supplement with melatonin. But it's interesting because I see a lot of shift workers come in with cancer. And you think about how their melatonin has been messed up for years, right? And they just feel like, oh, they're like, why do I get cancer? But they've probably been blocking this melatonin production for decades. So supplementing with that may be just so critical for their healing process. Yeah, and melatonin, to your point, is, is one of the most potent antioxidants for the mitochondria, right? It's one of two uh, antioxidants that actually get into the mitochondrial membrane. But you said something interesting. You said you use it at high dose as a pro-oxidant. My understanding is that melatonin is an antioxidant. So how does that work here? Yeah, so same thing as like with vitamin C, low doses, it's an antioxidant, which is really great cleaning up free radical damage, any kind of inflammation in the body, it's helping with cleaning that up. But at high doses, so whether it's vitamin C or melatonin, it turns more into a pro-oxidant, which has more of a cancer-killing apoptosis effect. So that's what you want. I mean, you could use either or depending on the person. If someone has a lot of oxidative stress already, then low dose melatonin may be more suitable for them. Like the too much oxidation may be a problem even in their cancer care. But yeah, the low dose or high dose melatonin is fantastic. I was actually, um, there's a study showing with rats where they had a tumor, a tumor cell and they, in the study, they removed the pineal gland. So the gland that produces melatonin and it showed when they removed that gland, the tumor, like the cancer just metastasized within no time. So it just shows the critical role of melatonin on our body and controlling cancer. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea, and it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. So let's go back to the hospital conversation. Most hospitals in the United States they have it backwards, meaning somebody, for example, going through chemotherapy in a hospital here in the US, probably similar all, all over the world, but I've seen in the US, somebody going through chemotherapy, they're a patient at the hospital, 
they're on their hospital bed and their nurse comes in with this tray of food that's processed junk food that actually could increase inflammation, which led them there in the first place. And then on top of that, you have fast food chains in hospitals where doctors take breaks and go eat that, patients take breaks and go eat that. Why, why do you think that is? And why do we have it so backwards? I know. And I was actually um, in one of the ICU clinics near, or the hospitals nearby, like in Canada, I was looking at what they're putting in these patients' feeding tubes when they're like literally on their last, like they're on their deathbeds or critical care at least. And in these feeding tubes, like their food bag, first ingredient was glucose corn syrup. It was all like sugar, 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 sugar. It was all just disgusting, modified. Like there was no food actually in it. It was just fillers and high calorie because the high calories are what they say is going to keep them alive and functioning. But like you said, we know it's an inflammatory process and it's feeding that inflammation and it's only going to kill them faster, which is really sad. But so when I was at the hospital in Canada, I was picking all the oncologist's brain. I'm like, what food are they eating? How come, like, what do you think about this? What do you think? There was only one out of the 10 oncologists that I met on that floor, at least, that said, yeah, this is BS. If we want patients to live and get out of this hospital, we need a whole wing of nutrition and how to supply the body with health and healing. And, you know, vitamin C therapy is used all over the world. Why would we not be using it here? But nine out of 10 of these doctors don't care. They do not want to in, they did not want to engage in a conversation of and I don't know if that is a legality thing, a pharmaceutical thing or what the actual if they're going to get their license taken away if they talk about actual um fueling the body properly. I'm not sure, but it is against humanity. Like it's crimes against humanity. That's <laughs> that's what I see it as. It's really sad and then you just think like wow, most people when you're in the hospital, you're just like, okay, you're giving me this, I'll have that. Like they don't even think twice, but yeah, it's killing people faster, essentially. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Have you seen any research on exogenous ketones as it relates to maybe chemotherapy or radiation exposure or any any benefits to exogenous ketones? Yeah, I think if you are having a hard time producing ketones on your own, absolutely supplement with those. If your body is in ketosis, whether it's organically or from taking it, like low blood sugar and then supplementing with exogenous ketones, that's fantastic. So before patients do um, uh, hyperthermia or do chemo or do um, hyperbaric chambers, especially in cancer, you need to be in ketosis. So a lot of patients have a hard time doing that. So they do supplement and they, they are in that state, even if they can't do it on their own. That makes sense. And you wrote a book about breast cancer and uh, it's called Live Longer and Stronger with Breast Cancer, a step-by-step -step guide. If you're watching on YouTube, it's right behind you. Why did you want to focus on breast cancer? Yeah, I've written another book since, Cancer Doesn't Own You, that talks about Great title. all of the, yeah, all the things that patients have been asking me over the past 12 years in practice. And so I've kind of just accumulated all of those questions into a book so then I can not repeat myself a thousand times. Get <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Here, just read the book. <laughs> um, but with breast cancer, is really interesting because I, I wanted to focus in on one cancer specifically instead of just like writing a, for the first book about all the different cancers because they can be very different. But with breast cancer, I felt like I, I did see a lot of patients in my practice that I could relate to. Like they were young moms. They have children. They have this hormonal cancer where 
I've seen a lot of like in their 30s and they're thinking or like even high 20s where they're diagnosed with breast cancer and they're given this like no change in diet, no change in emotional, like no mindset change. Like there was nothing given to them. And they're basically trying to like, they're having all these emotional issues because they go home seeing their children and thinking like, this could be the last time that I see Christmas with them. This could be the, so I had this really for breast cancer, but now it's really all hormonal cancers that I, women's health in general, I do see a lot of endometrial, cervical, but with breast cancer, you can actually apply a lot of the principles in that book for many hormonal cancers. So even for prostate cancer and even colon cancer, a lot of the similar um, pathologies are the same. So like what I said, the IGF-1, the hemoglobin A1C, the inflammation, I talk all about that in the book. So even though it's called for breast cancer, it's really for all cancers can it can be applied to. A question on prostate cancer, thoughts on this. I, I heard... Um... I think it was uh, Spencer Spencer Feldman. Dr. Pompa brought him into our group and we he, we do weekly trainings. And he, he said that he believes a big reason to why men are getting prostate cancer is a sedentary lifestyle. They're sitting a lot. There's not enough blood flow going to the prostate. Do you think that might be the case for a lot of these men? Absolutely. Like right now, prostate cancer is given a they're saying that it has to do with testosterone. So if you're given a prostate cancer diagnosis, then they'll put you on androgen blockers, suppress all of your testosterone. But if that theory was actually true, wouldn't you think men doing testosterone injections in their 20s and 30s would be the one with prostate cancer? But those are the men who are working out more, they're, support, they're getting circulation going, they have a healthy, normal testosterone level. But you're right, as we age, it's very common for most people to be sitting at their computer all day long and not moving. And that's when their testosterone is declining. So they're feeling more depressed, can't put on muscle, they're just feeling more anxious. So all the things that go along with low testosterone. So for men in general, I like to prescribe a hula hoop, <laughs> get their hips moving and get things moving because that's a really important thing to get blood flow to that area. In general, most people are way too stagnant. We don't move around enough. So even in my own practice, I have a mini trampoline in my clinic. I have vibration plates, like I stand on those. So every hour I'm getting up and doing something because I am just like everybody else. I'm always looking up stuff on my computer. I'm always doing things where I'm more stagnant, but I, I break that up because you're right, circulation and just being too stagnant, like that's definitely a problem. Those are some good tips. I've never heard, I never even thought of the hula hoop thing. So go ahead and get a hula hoop, men and women. It's cheap. Very gentle. <laughs> go, you cheap know, take, and gentle. Yeah, nice to go, you know, every few hours, take a break. These, how, what's like a, a good protocol for the hula hoops? What's a good um, way to use that? <laughs> I mean, if you've never done it before, you'll probably want to just go as long as you can. Uh, <laughs> but you don't even need a hula hoop, like just doing Zumba that's true. class, like yeah. something that's like getting your hips moving, right? Like dancing, putting on music, like how often do people just like turn on music and just dance? Like most people are so just like, gotta go to work, gotta do this, got to my to-do list. I have to do all these things. But think of the power of just putting on music and getting movement in, right? Like we should incorporate that into our days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to ask you a difficult question here. We know that cancer is a result of many, many things. It's not just one thing. It's a combination of many, many things. I get that. But, or I should say, and if you had to choose 
one thing that contributes to cancer more than anything else, what would you predict that would be? Well, I've definitely seen where like I go right to my logical brain here of like what I've seen and I can see two people with the exact same diets the exact same diagnosis every measure being the exact same except the one person has major fear and anxiety sleepless nights their cortisol is through the roof because of this trauma that they've just been told that they have with cancer so I mean, it essentially is a death sentence, what they think, right? So given all things lifestyle and food being the same, absolutely stress, because you think about too how stress and cortisol is going to affect now how you sleep, right? How you repair at night, how you rejuvenate. There's even studies showing with tumor suppressor genes, how it blunts that action. So we all have these mechanisms of cleaning up these cells that are trying to become cancerous with high cortisol, it blunts that. So stress, I would say, um, as much as I don't want to say stress caused your cancer, it's the accumulation of everything. But the one that's living in this sympathetic, nervous state, go, 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 really anxious about what's next and what's next, I think that's going to be triggering cancer cells more. Interesting. Yeah, I asked Dr. Aaron, Aaron Keneally the same question. Do you know Dr. Keneally mm-hmm. from California? Yeah. And um, of course, she agrees that it's a multitude of things. But she said if she had to choose one, similar to your answer, she said, you know, trapped emotions, right, which is similar to stress and fear. So isn't that interesting? And the good thing about that answer is that we could actually, it's very easy to take control over that. It's like a decision that you make. It doesn't require all this like money and equipment to take care of stress. Yeah. And even I was going to say about the trapped emotions and traumas, you think of people with PTSD, right? And then to be given a cancer diagnosis, it almost like reignites past traumas that they maybe haven't dealt with. So that's where a lot of this past healing and looking into these emotions that have been blocked for all these times, it's, it's a way for your body to work out things that you've maybe suppressed for so long or let go of. What, let's get a little sciencey as we, as we land the plane here. Um, what role does the, the membrane of the cell play here with uh, cancer progression, right? That, that lipid bilayer that's, that's protective, uh, kind of like the bodyguard. What role does that play and how do we support that? Yeah, so all lipid bilayers, obviously by the name, is all the healthy fats, right? And so if you are not feeding your body enough healthy fats, how on earth can all those cells communicate properly, right? And not just any fat, the ones that are low and to- have no toxicity because A lot of people think like just having deep fried something or whatever, that's a source of fat, but it's actually making your system more toxic and less able to communicate. So that bilayer is such an critical part. So getting enough MCT, olive oil, coconut oil, all the things that have healthy fats to help our cells communicate, because that's what it's really all about. Anything with health, if your cells not communicating properly, how are you supposed to um, produce healthy hormones, how you're supposed to have a strong immune system to think the enteric nervous system, how you're supposed to communicate properly. It all really comes down to each one of our cells. Like Dr. Pompa says, treat the cell and you'll get well, right? Is that, that's it. That is, that's his motto? Yeah. Yeah. So that's huge. Like you have to look at the deep cellular tissue there. Absolutely. I agree. And it's the quality of the fats that matter. What, what do you think is worse for us? Um, vegetable seed oils, these omega-6 bastardized, adulterated fats, or is 
processed sugar worse for us? Which one is worse? (laughs) I would go with the processed fats. Yeah. Hmm. Why? That's a, yeah. Like I almost think the stuff that's, I mean, you think about toxicity as a whole and it loves sitting in fat tissue, right? Like it's just, love sitting in fat. So from a toxicity and inflammation, whereas at least with sugars, our body can eventually over time metabolize and balance itself out. But yeah, the fats are a lot harder to get rid of that toxicity. So I would go with the the bad fats. I agree with you. Uh, Exactly. My my answer would be the same thing. You know, the bad fats stick around for much longer. It's estimated. I think Dr. Kate Shanahan told me the half-life of uh, linoleic acid, these omega-6 fats that are in our body fat and membranes, the half-life is about two years, right? Meaning if you got rid of them today, two years later, half of them are still in your body. With sugar, yeah, sugar's not good if you eat it a lot, but you could go ahead and be active, do some trampoline jumping, do some squats and, and use that for energy. But those bad fats, they stick around for a very long time and they're everywhere. Like, What do you do when you travel? What do you do when you're at restaurants? Do you make requests to cook it in a healthier oil or alternative? Oh, that would be, yeah, I, um, <laughs> or do you just take the hits? I usually just stick to the salads and put the dressing on the side. I'll have like grilled vegetables or sorry, grilled, um, fish or grilled chicken. Like I'll have things that are never in a fried state. Um, cause I just feel awful anyways. Like it's not just like, cause I know they're bad for me. Um, the other thing I learned too is deep fried French fries. So the potato, once it's in a deep fried uh, situation there, it has aldehydes, which are, like you said, with the fats, it takes years to get rid of these toxins. And so, yeah, the way that it's cooked is so important. And I stick to very basic foods, even when I go out, because it's more about the experience of who I'm with and the environment of what I'm with versus like feeling, oh, it's a treat for me. And I can go out and I can have just like the most disgusting, not disgusting. It probably tastes delicious, but you just know afterwards you're like, Ooh, why did I do that? So I really try to stick to even the basics while I'm out. Yeah, that's good. That's a good call. Where do you see our health as it relates to cancer going in the next 10 years? You mentioned earlier that it's inevitable. We're all going to get cancer. We all have cancer cells right now, but one in three women are diagnosed with cancer within their lifetime, one in two for men uh, in the US. But where do you see this? Do you see this getting better in 10 years? Do you see it staying the same, getting worse? Where, where do you see the projection going? I believe from when I first started practice, like I said, 12 years ago, the questions patients were asking were nowhere near the knowledge that people have now. I'm very excited about the patients being much more informed and they can actually ask better questions. They know that there's the system is wrong. They know that they have to heal their body and protect their system throughout conventional care. So even if our pharmaceutical model is taking over and they're not giving many options, I believe people are getting smarter and really want to help themselves. So as a whole, I mean, it would be great if we had these integrative clinics like in Europe, However, um, I'm not holding my breath for it. I still think it's amazing that we have a lot of information out there and people can take charge of their health, even if the big pharma and big industries are not um, integrating the way we would love it to be. Well said. Absolutely. Final question for you, Lori, is vitamin G, gratitude. We mentioned it earlier. What are you grateful for today? Oh, I love that. I am completely grateful for my three young girls. I have a four, six, and eight-year-old, and 
as crazy as life gets, when I was away from them for two weeks, I came back with a totally different, like, just such a gratitude for how sweet and young and amazing that they are. So yeah, my three little girls, definitely. Uh, That's beautiful. That's special. Where can the keto campers go check you out, get your book, follow you on social? Yeah, so I'm giving away my free book, uh, Cancer Doesn't Own You, on drlori.ca. So D-R-L-O-R-I.ca. Awesome. We'll put that down below. What about social media? Where do you want them to go? And then on Instagram, I'm at drlori.bouchard. Okay, great. We'll put that down below. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can find it in notes. If you're on the podcast, find it in notes. Uh, Dr. Lori Bouchard, I love your work. I love what you're doing. I always learn from you. I look forward to doing more collaborations with you. And just thank you so much for coming on here and giving us hope and inspiration and empowering us with your research. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm so honored to be here too. Hey, Keto Camper. Good job to you listening to the full episode. Uh, You are committed. I love that. And I really hope you got a lot of value from Dr. Lori Bouchard. Her website is dr lori.ca. So that's drlori.ca. Her Instagram is at Bouchard. She has a YouTube and we'll put all that down below. And you can find her books down below as well. If you're in that area of Canada, go to her clinic too. Let her know you listened to the Keto Camp podcast and you heard her amazing episode. Please share this with somebody you know. Somebody you know, maybe who has cancer, somebody who's really worried about cancer, or just somebody who wants to learn about health copy and paste the link or even share the YouTube interview with them that could be found over at youtube.com slash keto camp, whatever you think is best. And please consider leaving the show a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from. Get your daily dose of vitamin G today and every day, which is gratitude. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful you listened to this point of the interview because we're wrapping up and uh, I love your commitment. Thank you. Have an amazing day. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.